Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Wall of Power Radio Hour. This is your host, Paul Metza. Our motto on the radio show is cool people from all walks of life and all 50 states. And we have one of the coolest uh, in the political world on tonight. Richard Painter is an American lawyer, professor, and independent political candidate from 2005 to 2007. Painter was the chief White House ethics lawyer in the George Bush uh, administration. He is the Walter Ritchie Professor of Corporate Law at the University of Minnesota. Since 2016, has also served as Vice Chair of Citizens for Responsibility and Ethics in Washington, CREW Crew, a government watchdog group. A longtime Republican and self-described centrist in 2018, Mr. Painter ran for the Minnesota Democratic Farmer Labor Party nomination as an independent for U.S. Senate, challenging recently appointed Senator Tina Smith. Smith defeated Painter uh, in the primary, and uh, I'm proud to say I was able to – I supported Mr. Painter, and I was able to play a couple of events with him, and I'm so happy – it's been a couple of years since I spoke with him, but so happy to have him on the show tonight. Richard, how are you this evening? Uh, doing wonderfully, doing wonderfully. Much better now on January 20, though. All looking forward to the big day. What? Uh, how are you feeling about this, uh, the beginning, really, of the post-Trump world? Well, uh, so far, so good. Uh, President-elect Biden has named a lot of his top people who are going to be coming into his administration. And Donald Trump uh, still will not concede the election. His uh, legal team is still filing frivolous suits. Uh, but just about every one of those suits has been dismissed, uh, many of them by very conservative judges. Uh, so it looks like this uh, election is resolved, and uh, our country is going to move on uh, to uh, uh, have another president and another chance to uh, have a real representative democracy. What the hell ever happened to Rudy Giuliani? I don't know. He just went nuts, uh, Rudy Giuliani. Um, he's just uh, completely out of control. He is running around talking about election fraud like crazy. And it's, it's just been nonstop uh, mouthing off from Rudy Giuliani. For some reason, he's trying to uh, impress Donald Trump, even though it's pretty clear that Donald Trump is on his way out the door. Yeah, it's a, it's a beautiful feeling. Now, um, you and, uh, you know, there's some very... Uh, some other, I guess we could call them never-Trumpers, uh, diehard Republicans that uh, just could not handle what Donald Trump was about. Did you uh, you know any of those guys in the Lincoln Project, like Steve Schmidt or Rick Wilson? Oh, yes, yes. I know them. And George Conway is a good friend of mine. He was my college classmate. And really? My law school classmate. Oh, yes. Uh, he was class 84 at Harvard with me, and then we went on to law school together, and George is a lot more conservative than I am. I, I was always a moderate Republican, and of the dying uh, moderate liberal wing of the Republican Party, George is a rock-solid conservative. Uh, but George Conway also realized that the man his wife, Kellyanne, works for is a complete nut. And uh, George has been very vocal about it and helped found the Lincoln Project, and I think that's just uh, wonderful. We have a, people with a broad range of political views from very conservative to very liberal, who understand one thing, and that's that Donald Trump is a threat to the rule of law, a threat to our Constitution, and the sooner he's out the door, the better. 
Well, I think he's lost at uh, all these frivolous lawsuits. I think he's like one in forty-eight, and uh, but he's like uh, he's like the dog that's not going to let go of the bone. I mean, uh, do you see any? Do you see him exhibiting any class on his way out? Is he going to just keep dragging this office down with him? I don't think Donald Trump has shown class uh, in his entire life on anything, yeah. uh, whether it's uh, ripping off the bondholders on the New Jersey casino back in 91 or his uh, various uh, divorces uh, and his uh, relationship with business partners, employees, Trump University. I mean, the list of failures goes on and on, and now we have a four-year presidency that's just been a complete unmitigated disaster. And uh, unfortunately, what he's doing is he's going around raising tons of money for these election challenges that are completely bogus. And uh, we don't know what he's going to do with the money. Some of it's going to the lawyers. Maybe Rudy Giuliani's getting a piece. Uh, but there's going to be a big pile of Trump money sitting around that he may try to use to throw his weight around to the Republican Party going forward. My uh, father, who was uh, very civic-minded, he served on the school board, city council, two terms as mayor in our small town up in the Iron Range of Virginia, Minnesota, was uh, independent, probably leaned Republican. He always used to say the best thing that happened to Democrats were Republicans and the best thing that happened to Republicans were Democrats. But what do you think is uh, uh, what has become of your party, the GOP? Well, it's just gone uh, way too far to the right on a whole bunch of issues. Uh, ranging from uh, some of the social issues. I mean, this is a party that's committed supposedly to small government that wants to tell women when they can have an abortion and regulate uh, who gets married and so forth. Uh, so you have the completely uh, authoritarian views on the social issues combined with an unwillingness to protect the environment, which goes against the tradition of Teddy Roosevelt and Republicans all the way through Richard Nixon, and uh, I've got to say, we, we know quite a few Republicans alive today uh, and still active in politics who strongly support environmental uh, protection, uh, but not Donald Trump and not a lot of the people in the Republican Party. And uh, that's really very, very unfortunate. Uh, and then, of course, the extreme concentrations of wealth, where you just have the super rich who are funding all the political campaigns, uh, that appeal to the lowest common denominator. So the whole thing has really become very, very frustrating for people who've been in the Republican Party their whole life. And I got my friend Arnie Carlson, the former governor of Minnesota, uh, as one of those people. And, and Arnie uh, was ostracized in the Republican Party for not adhering to these extremist views. Very, very unfortunate. Uh, I was a big fan of Arnie Carlson, still am. In fact, I voted for him in the early 90s. He was one of the first uh, Republicans, actually one of the first politicians that uh, uh, started talking about the legalization of marijuana, which just passed the House uh, last week. What are your feelings about uh, uh, marijuana, hemp, uh, et cetera? Well, it ought to be legal to, to to sell to the public, just like alcohol. I mean, obviously, there are dangers from excessive use and addiction and so forth, just as we do have with alcohol. Uh, but as we found out in the 1920s, it doesn't make much sense to prohibit use of alcohol. 
and just throw the business into the hands of organized criminals. And uh, you've got to get the same thing with marijuana. If we could legalize marijuana and have it be regulated for safety, uh, then we can get it out of the hands of people who are running criminal enterprises. And uh, we could ob- obviously should look much more seriously where to legalize other drugs that are a lot more dangerous. But uh, I-, I would definitely go with legalization there. Well, and two, in places like Colorado, it's been a, a big boon for their tax base. I mean, you're talking millions, sometimes billions of dollars. Well, yeah. I mean, when it's legal, you could tax it. Uh, and that's part of the above-board economy. When it's illegal, people are still buying it and smoking it and everything, but all the profits go to uh, various criminal enterprises. So, uh, I, And also there's serious concerns about the safety of uh, unregulated marijuana. So I, it's healthier for everyone to get it uh, above-board. Uh, we certainly we got to figure out a way to make sure we keep people high off the roads if we could test people for marijuana in the in the system at the drive of the vehicle because that's certainly something we don't want but uh you know there the things we need to do to protect public safety but outlawing marijuana it just isn't it doesn't make any sense anymore now, well, i don't know if it ever did well i don't uh, i don't believe there's any uh record anywhere in the last hundred years in this country of someone uh overdosing and dying uh, on marijuana, I mean, the most the, wor- the the worst thing that's going to happen is you're going to eat another box of potato chips or finish the chocolate cake in the fridge. Yeah, that's not you know if, if you have just a straight. I mean, I'm not a smoker myself, but I, I as I understand it, I, I think if you just have a straight grass or without laced with something strange, you're you're just fine. Uh, uh, if you have too much of it, you could get sick. You, get, you could get addicted. If, if I have too many cocktails in the evening, I'm not going to feel well in the morning. If I keep doing that, I'm going to mess up my liver. But that doesn't mean we close down the liquor store. Well, you know, I've always said that people go, well, it's a gateway drug. It's a gateway to harder drugs. I know people. I've known uh, heroin addicts. I've known alcoholics that have gotten off heroin and alcohol, and they take a couple of puffs of marijuana to hit that pleasure spot and to chill them out. And I say marijuana is a gateway drug, but it's a gateway back to some form of sanity. But that's just me, yeah, Richard Painter. Yeah, and the other thing is something becomes a gateway drug to other more harmful drugs if it's sold by the same people or sold in the more harmful drugs. Ex- if you make it legal, it's going to be sold by different businesses and different dealers who are above board, paying their taxes, to comply with the regulations. And then the other drugs that are more dangerous will be sold uh, illegally, and that's a different problem we'll have to deal with. We've got Richard Painter on the show uh, all night tonight on the Wall of Power Radio Hour. We're going to listen to a little music and come back for three more sets with Professor Painter. Say, I dreamed about a reef of five feet long. A mighty mess, but not too strong. You'll be high, but not for long. If you're a viper, I'm the king of everything. I gotta go, gotta go, gotta go, gotta be high before I swing. Let the bells ring, ding dong, ding. If you're a viper. Say you know you're high when your throat gets dry. Mmm, everything's dandy. 
Hey, everyone. You know what's just around the corner? The holidays. And you know what that means. You have to find the perfect gift for curious kids, hard-to-buy-for teens, and baby boomers that already have everything they could possibly need. Would you believe there's one gift that will delight all three? Yep. Music lessons at School of Rock. Lessons in guitar, bass, drums, keys, or vocals make a fantastic holiday gift. Lessons are available in person or online, so you can even give the gift of music to the out-of-towners on your shopping list. For AM950 listeners, we're giving a fifth lesson free for every four lessons you buy. Just mention you heard us on AM950. And if you would like to learn an instrument, give us a call. Your first lesson's on us. Yes, I mean totally free. No strings attached. Check us out at edenprairie.schoolofrock.com or click on the link on am950radio.com. Welcome back to the Wall of Power Radio Hour. This is your host, Paul Metzen. My guest for the whole show tonight, and I can call him my friend. We spent some time together when he was uh, running against Tina Smith a couple of years ago uh, for the U.S. Senate in Minnesota, uh, Mr. Richard Painter. Now, Richard, are you doing any uh, teaching right now? Are you doing any Zoom sessions? Or are you taking some time off? Oh, I'm teaching. I, I teach a course this semester on business lawyers' ethics. Uh, and we teach, uh, have it on Zoom, and uh, the students are very much engaged. It, it's a good course. I think it's a very interesting conversation uh, that I'm having with these students uh, about what do you do if you've got a business client that doesn't want to comply with the law or get close to the line on the law and conflicts of interest and all that stuff. So we're, we're, we're proceeding along at the University of Minnesota. That's fantastic. Now, Professor, what, is, uh, what got you interested in that? Uh, type of law? Oh, I practiced law in New York City back in the late 80s, early 90s in these big corporate firms, and I saw some of the stuff going on on Wall Street. And, uh, well, instead of just making money my whole life uh, uh, representing big investment banks and the rest of it, uh, I might enjoy teaching students about business law and about the different problems and how to deal with these issues when you have clients who aren't uh, complying with the law. Uh, we need to clean up ethics, uh, whether it's Wall Street or businesses here in Minnesota. Uh, and uh, it's important to have ethical lawyers out there. So that's what I've been doing my entire life, since my entire professional career, since 1993. I've been teaching law students and enjoying uh, every minute of it. Richard, did you, uh, uh, you know, now that we have a very conservative Supreme Court, uh, would you make an argument for expanding the uh, amount of justices on the Supreme Court? Well, we'll see. We might have to do that. Uh, this court is not representative of our country. Uh, that's the uh, the problem we confront. Uh, this Supreme Court is very, very conservative, uh, and our country is right down the middle on a lot of issues. Uh, it also, demographically, it's not uh, a representative of our country. It's over. This court is overwhelmingly uh, very religious Roman Catholics, and that's wonderful to be very religious and Roman Catholic, just like it's wonderful to be very religious and Muslim or Jewish or any other faith. But uh, to have one particular denomination represented so heavily on the court with very conservative people who then may overturn Roe versus Wade and uh, hand down a bunch of other rulings. There's one just two weeks ago saying the churches in, in New York City 
uh, could ignore the governor's order uh, uh, to stay at home and not jam people in there spreading the COVID-19. Uh, and I don't know why the Supreme Court says that's a religious liberty to to spread COVID-19. Uh, uh, all I know is the bishop at my church says stay home, stay yeah. safe. Um, but uh, this is the kind of thing, we need a court that's going to represent the entire country and uh, represent our different uh, views on politics, religion, and uh, be geographically diverse. And this is not a very diverse court at all that we have right now. What... Uh when you were working for uh, George Bush and uh, or any other times hanging out in D.C., uh, did you ever have uh, a chance to meet uh, Bill Barr? And what are your feelings about what he's done to the Department of Justice since he's been in charge? I've never met Bill Barr. Not that I can remember. He didn't serve in the George W. Bush administration. I always wondered why. He had his uh, hands all over those pardons that were handed out by George H.W. Bush back in Christmas of 1992 to all the people who were involved in Iran-Contra. And I don't know how much of that was Bill Barr's idea and, uh, you know, how much of it was President Bush's idea back in 92. But for whatever reason, he couldn't seem to get into the George W. Bush administration. Uh, and so he was always lurking in the background. But he's definitely... Is when Donald Trump came into office, did everything he could to kiss up to Donald Trump. And he first offered to represent Donald Trump in his personal capacity in the Mueller investigation. Actually, he interviewed Donald Trump, drafted a 19-page memo to the lawyers representing Trump and other targets of the investigation, basically saying that Bob Mueller was full of malarkey uh, on his obstruction of justice theory. And then uh, what happens is Bill Barr ends up getting appointed attorney general and then does everything he can to hurry up the Mueller investigation, uh, cover up its findings, redact the Mueller report. He drafted a four-page letter to Congress misrepresenting what was in the Mueller report. And then he launched counter-investigations to retaliate against the people who had started the Russia investigation that led to the Mueller report. It goes on and on. This this attorney general has been the worst attorney general in American history, uh, and we've had some pretty bad ones uh, in there, including uh, Richard Nixon's attorney general, John Mitchell, who ended up going to jail. But Barr has been the absolute worst. I spent this summer working with the Center for Ethics and the Rule of Law at the University of Pennsylvania, and we put out a 250-page report uh, and we got crew also, Citizens for Responsibility and Ethics in Washington, involved with this effort, and they co-sponsored it. So we've got this report. It's on the webpage for both crew and the University of Pennsylvania Center for the Ethics and Rule of Law on DOJ under Bill Barr. And we go through everything that he's been involved with, whether it's the Mueller report, whether it's Ukraine, and he had his fingers all over that, uh, the uh, efforts to... Uh, send the federal troops to go after peaceful protesters this summer, the counter-investigations, firing a United States attorney up in New York in the Southern District of New York who's conducting investigations affected Donald Trump. And the list of, of, of malfeasance in this Justice Department is horrific. And I, I'd advise everybody to take a look at that report we wrote this summer. It's a, it's a a very, very thorough investigation, and I think uh, shows how really pernicious uh, this Justice Department has been under Bill Barr. 
Uh, that sounds like some fascinating reading I will have ahead of me. Hey, we've got about a minute left in the second set here in the Wall of Power Radio Hour. What did it feel like the first time you entered the Oval Office? Well, uh, there's a lot of power in that office. The man in that office or the woman someday will be in that office will have a, uh, has a lot of power to make decisions that affect everyday life for Americans and people around the globe. And you just hope someone in there, in that office, has honesty and integrity and wants to do the right thing. Uh, because it, it, it makes a big difference who's sitting in that chair in the Oval Office. It must have been an incredible feeling the first time that happened, and probably every time you walked in. We've got Richard Painter on the Wall of Power Radio Hour tonight. Uh, for two more sets, we're going to listen to a little music and be back with the professor. Stick around. Not all poor men are honest, not all rich men are thieves. But the rich man owns the orchard, you know the poor man raised the leaves. And as the world goes around, said all I want to ask is... If the rich man owns the land, why must a poor man pay the taxes? Why does justice go so slow? Slow justice slowly goes. Poor means stop and rich means go. Slow justice slowly goes. They say a woman's work is never done, and do you wonder why? They can feed half as much for double time on the buy and buy. Well, I ain't a big shot. Welcome back to the third set of the Wall of Power Radio Hour. This is your host, Paul Metzer. My guest uh, for the whole show tonight, so glad to have him, Professor Richard Painter. Uh, you can follow him uh through crew and the other things he's working on with his friends out on the East Coast. But uh, you've probably seen him on CNN or MSNBC as well. Richard, I know uh, something you and I really have in common is, is to fight the copper-nickel mining that uh, they're proposing for northeastern Minnesota. Tell us about your interest in that and uh, your efforts fighting this. Well, I just want to tell you, first of all, something about my background. I, I was born in Pennsylvania, but I grew up in Kansas and central Illinois, went to school out east, worked out east. I've been all, all over the Midwest and the East Coast. And I will tell you that Minnesota is one of the beautiful, most beautiful places uh, in the United States or on Earth, particularly northern Minnesota and our boundary waters. I've never been so somewhere, somewhere that... Uh, really uh, maybe appreciate so much uh, the beauty of nature uh, and God's handiwork. And, and to see uh, the, the boundary waters destroyed by copper-nickel mining, to me, is a nightmare. It's, it's horrific to even contemplate the possibility of digging up all that copper-nickel under there, getting it into the water, and it's going to end up in the water and destroy the boundary waters, uh, is not just an important place for Minnesotans. People come here from all over the world to enjoy the boundary waters. And we're going to destroy it, allow foreign mining conglomerates to destroy it for their own profits and for a tiny handout uh, to Minnesota workers and a labor union bosses, more to the court of the Minnesota politicians who support this 
it's absolutely horrific uh, what's been contemplated here. And I, I just want to give you some detail about these two mining companies. Yeah, and please I want to open up the first two ones. I'll tell you, it's it's amazing. Uh, one of them is a, a conglomerate run out of uh, Chile by a billionaire down in Chile uh, who um, uh, controls a lot of copper mines and banks down there and also uh, rents a house to Jared and Ivanka Trump in D.C. And he's been trying to get this mining lease in northern Minnesota for years. So as soon as Donald Trump was elected, he arranges to get this house that he's going to uh, rent out to Jared and Ivanka. Uh, I don't think he's trying to make money in the real estate business. It's the influence business. Mm-hmm. And that's the Antofagasta mine that's called Twin Metals. And uh, that is going to be right, right in the middle of the mountain waters and uh, ecological disaster if that goes forward. Uh, so that's one of them. The other one's called Polymet, but Polymet's going to be a bit south of there uh, in the Lake Superior watershed. Now, Polymet, though, is a Canadian company, but it's controlled. Uh, about 80% of the stock now controlled by a company called Glencore, which is a Swiss metals a conglomerate. Glencore is founded by Mark Rich, who was a fugitive from justice, got a pardon from Bill Clinton. Uh, Glencore also has investors a lot from Russia, including oligarchs close to uh, Vladimir Putin. So just a couple of years ago, the CEO of Glencore goes over to Moscow. There's a big picture of him there getting the Presidential Medal of Freedom or Friendship from Vladimir Putin. Uh, they're in with the Russians in a big way, uh, Glencore. They also have environmental disasters all over the world. They mine in Africa, create a big environmental mess, and then just hightail out of there. And that's what they want to do to northern Minnesota through Polymath. They're going to uh, mine this place. They're going to get out of here. They're not going to pay for any of the cleanup. Uh, Glencore refuses to guarantee the cost of the cleanup of the Polymath mine. Uh, they just say Polymet's on the line. Well, Polymet is a thinly capitalized company. Uh, the stock has gone down the toilet, and they're the ones who are going to be liable on the uh, cleanup if this thing's a mess. And I'd say no way. The Department of Natural Resources here in Minnesota got snuckered on that deal. Governor Arnie Carlson and I have gone around the state giving quite a few speeches about this, and we got to get our governor get his act together and shut down uh, both the polymet proposal and the twin metal proposal, uh, or there's going to be a political act to pay in Minnesota in 2022. We could end up with a third-party candidate running for governor. Well, and the other thing, you know, uh, the devastation from either of those mines, it would take hundreds of years to really clean up what it would do to the environment in the water basin. But the other uh, argument I think that really needs to be made strongly is that between Lake Superior and the lakes uh, in Minnesota, especially northeastern Minnesota, we are sitting on over 20% of the fresh water in the world. And look not only around the world, but in America about all the droughts and uh, in the water, uh, water shortages. I mean, it's got to, we've got to realize what a wonderful natural resource the water itself is. Uh, clean water is, is critical to human survival. And uh, that's something the Native Americans have appreciated for years. And that's another thing that's been so disappointing about this is the Native American tribes up there in northern Minnesota have been very clear that they oppose this mining. 
and that they don't want it going on their tribal land because they know where that pollution is going to end up. It's going to end up on their land. Mm-hmm. It interferes with their way of life. And everyone talks about the way of life in Minnesota. Well, the way of life isn't copper and nickel mining. We've never had copper and nickel mining in this state. Uh, but if we do, we are going to destroy the water. we destroy the way of life of our Native American tribes. And uh, it's a horrific possibility. But if we're going to stop it, we need to mobilize and uh, put the pressure on the governor to be unequivocal on this. We're not going to have copper nickel mining in Minnesota. It doesn't belong here near our waterways. You do copper nickel mining maybe down in Arizona or someplace where you're well away from the major waterways, but not northern Minnesota. It's just going to be in a big mess. Who would you uh, suggest uh, following or donating to or supporting? I know there's uh, uh, groups up in the Boundary Waters but can you think of anything off the top of your head where people can click on and throw them a few bucks? Oh, well, the Friends of Boundary Waters, uh, they're very good. I've tweeted out a couple of them. Uh, Duluth for Clean Water, uh, there are a couple of very, very good groups up there. And Friends of Boundary Waters uh, has been very active in uh, raising money. Uh, and uh, the Sierra Club has been good. Uh, there are a lot of groups that are doing well, but... Uh, most recently, the Friends of Boundary Waters. I've been I've been retweeting their uh, uh, promotions, and they're they're very very good. So we've got a good people involved in this, uh, but we got to take it seriously. We've got to make sure the candidates are running uh, for public office who are not going to be a shy about this. Because at this point, we've got two United States senators who are, uh, if anything, pro mining. Uh, and uh, we have a governor who's not willing to call uh, call this out and say no, uh, who's just sitting on it because it's a political hot potato and some of the unions up there have been bought off. Uh, but uh, we need to have our representatives reflect the views of the vast majority of Minnesotans who are against copper nickel mining on the Iron Range. Uh, have you ever thought Richard Painter for governor in the next few years? Oh, I've thought about it. I, I haven't opened up an exploratory committee yet, but I, I was, I'm always thinking about what the next step is. But I don't, I don't want to run for office unless I believe that I can do something good for uh, for the people of Minnesota and uh, make people focus on the issues and solve the problems. And if I see an opportunity to do that by running for office, I'll do that or I'll uh, uh, deal with these issues otherwise. But I'm not going to be leaving the fight. Well, I've uh, ever since I, I uh, got hip to you for your appearances at MSNBC and CNN, proud to call you a, a fellow Minnesotan. You know, I grew up on the Iron Range, and there's always been that push and pull uh, between the environmentalists, which which they call tree huggers up there, and uh, and the unions who, of course, uh, support mining and jobs, which is understandable. Uh, the Iron Range was built. Uh, on taconite mining and iron ore mining. So what would your suggestions be for uh, other forms of employment uh, on what is, you know, kind of a, a mining economy that's, you know, really gone through the ups and downs over the years? Well, the one thing is the economy is fundamentally different than it was uh, back when the uh, northern Minnesota was heavily dependent on mining. Uh, we've got the Internet. I've been working mostly from home since March uh, because of the uh, of the COVID nineteen. Uh, many other people have, but 
we realize the power of the Internet. Uh, there's so much you can do uh, now that you could connect an office in Virginia, Minnesota, with an office in Washington, D.C., or in London, uh, by Zoom conference call or however, on the Internet, so long as you have the Internet access. So first of all, it's critically important to have high-speed Internet accessible everywhere in Minnesota, at every corner of the state, number one priority. Because once you do that, you can open up everything from financial services to educational services uh, and all sorts of manufacturing, everything else. Uh, in northern Minnesota, you don't need to be in the Twin Cities to make a lot of money. You can be in parts of our state. They're a lot more beautiful than the Twin Cities, less expensive, easier lifestyle, and yet have have a good business uh, because of the connections that we can establish with the world with the Internet. So I would emphasize that. I'd also look at tourism, the beauty, the sheer beauty of northern Minnesota. Uh, brings people here from all over the world. And I know tourism has been bad with the COVID-19 crisis, but uh, once we get out of the pandemic, people are going to want to come back here. But no one wants to come to northern Minnesota, buy real estate here, invest in startup companies here. No one's going to do any of that if they're going to be in the backyard of a sulfide mine controlled by some foreign billionaire who just wants to strip out the resources and then hightail out of here. Well, and there's no, uh, you know, if you don't, feel like flying, and a lot, I certainly don't right now, and you drive to northeastern Minnesota, there's no better social distancing than getting on a canoe and heading out to Lac La Croix, one of those beautiful lakes up there. It's uh, plus not only the water, you got a lot of good fresh air, too. We've got uh, Richard Painter on. So happy to have him on tonight on the Wall of Power Radio. We're going to listen to a little, little music and have him back for one more set, so stick around. holidays. And you know what that means? You have to find the perfect gift for curious kids, hard to buy for teens, and baby boomers that already have everything they could possibly need. Would you believe there's one gift that will delight all three? Yep. Music lessons at School of Rock. Lessons in guitar, bass, drums, keys, or vocals make a fantastic holiday gift. Lessons are available in person or online, so you can even give the gift of music to the out-of-towners on your shopping list. For AM 950 listeners, we're giving a fifth lesson free for every four lessons you buy. Just mention you heard us on AM 950. And if you would like to learn an instrument, give us a call. Your first lesson's on us. Yes, I mean totally free. No strings attached. Check us out at edenprairie.schoolofrock.com. Or click on the link on am950radio.com. 
Welcome to the fourth set of the Wall of Power Radio Hour. This is your host, Paul Metz, and my guest and my friend tonight, Professor Richard Painter. Richard, this has been so much fun. Uh, we've got about oh, seven or eight more minutes left. So tell us, how do you feel uh, uh, incoming President-elect Joe Biden, Kamala Harris are doing uh, so far? And uh, how are you feeling about their picks for the certain uh, cabinet positions? Uh, so far, so good on the picks for the cabinet positions. They all seem to be very well qualified. Uh, uh, and we've got a military man, uh, General Austin, is going to be in charge of the Pentagon. Uh, normally, we'd want a civilian in charge of the Pentagon. But I think uh, it makes a good, uh, good deal of sense to put uh, a general in there because uh, there's a lot of distrust of civilian leadership right now among military professionals, particularly if the civilian leadership is so politically motivated, the people that Donald Trump uh, has had in charge, uh, particularly recently. Uh, and so having a, a, a general, a good general in charge uh, who understands the cost of going to war, I hope we never have to send our troops into war uh, during the Biden administration. Uh, but I, I think uh, that's a good pick, and the Treasury uh, is going to be in good hands with uh, uh, Janet Yellen. Uh, so there, there's some very good picks out there. Uh, uh, Tony Blinken is going to be good in the Secretary of State's job. I have emphasized, though, that these uh, lobbying firms, such as the one that Tony Blinken helped found called West Exec, uh, that, you know, they'd be left behind and they not be allowed to come in to the uh, State Department or the White House and peddle influence or gather information for hedge fund clients or whatever it is they do. So I have urged the Biden administration to be very careful, the transition team, about that revolving door uh, in and out of the private sector, because a lot of the Democrats have been spending the last four years uh, making some pretty good money, and that's, that's fine. Uh, but I want those private sector employers left behind. Uh, they're they're as of January 20, they're going to be there to serve the American people, not their own personal financial interests or their former employers. What uh, I know, there's been some issues uh, at the University of Minnesota. Talk about that and the, the need for transparency. Well, the University of Minnesota is a, is a great public university uh, and uh, very 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 high quality academics uh, at the University of Minnesota. Uh, but we we have struggled with transparency and uh, continuing issues in the in the harassment and discrimination area. Uh, we had a professor in the uh, education school who was running up enormous uh, bills for travel with his girlfriend all over the place. Apparently, was beating up on some of his girlfriends too, and he ended up getting fired. And we got the question of what the provost Karen Hansen knew and. Uh, didn't know, uh, uh, and the university doesn't appear to be being very transparent about that. We've got some medical school people who have relationships with private companies and who may be interfering with the research of other medical school people. And the, the music department, where my wife works, has been a disaster. They've been served with a uh, subpoena from the Minnesota Department of Human Rights concerning retaliation and discrimination. Really? Um yeah, there's, so there have been some issues that need to be dealt with at the university, and uh, I've been talking to several of the regions about what they need to do uh, to make sure everything's more transparent because there's a lot of work to be done. Well, there's there's nobody better to have on staff for those issues than than uh, Richard Painter, who worked uh, as uh, one of the head guys in the uh, uh, 
ethics and uh, legal department of the George Bush administration from 2002 to 2007. So they've got a kind of a uh, some big eyes looking over their shoulders. So uh, I'm glad to hear you're 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 doing your part. Now, Richard, uh, I had a chance to meet the lovely uh, your lovely wife Karen, who works in the music department, at music history department over at the U of M. You guys were nice enough to come down to a show I was playing at uh, a little uh, my favorite little saloon in Northeast Minneapolis called Grumpy's Bar, run by the great uh, Pat Dwyer, who is just. Uh, Really happy to meet you too. So, what are you guys missing right now in the pandemic? Uh, whether it's going out for dinner, movies, camping, fishing, what are you missing? Well, we're missing seeing our friends and uh, seeing family. Uh, Karen's family's from the West Coast in California, and uh, my mother is in Massachusetts right now in Cape Cod. And I've been able to get out east some, but it's hard. And seeing family is, uh, is something we miss. Our kids miss seeing their friends. And uh, we've been able to get a little closer together as a family. We do a lot more together than we used to. Uh, the nuclear family right here in Mendota Heights. But it's it's hard not seeing friends and family. And we look forward to the end of the pandemic and opportunity to get out there. And uh, Karen would like to be able to go to concerts again uh, around uh, the Twin Cities and uh, be able to go to the theater. And there's so many things that we were able to do before we can't do uh, at this point. Well, and you guys are so close to the Minnesota Zoo that has one of the nicest music series run by Sue McLean and Associates for years with that beautiful amphitheater. I don't know if you've ever been able to enjoy a show there. But that's right around the corner from you. We have not yet, and that's one of the things on our list as soon as we can get going, uh, get out of this pandemic and get out in public again. What do you feel, you know, we have 35 or 40 percent of this country that are anti-vaxxers, and the, they shot uh, just this week the 90-year-old lady in the U.K. with the first shot of the vaccine. How do you think this is going to play out in the next year or two? Is this going to get it under control? I believe the vaccine's got to be highly effective, and uh, we're going to have enough people vaccinated that we can calm this thing down a bit. Uh, it's absolutely crazy to uh, be an anti-vaxxer, uh, particularly with this pandemic. I mean, this could be deadly. Uh, we know it's deadly. We've lost almost 300,000 Americans uh, because of it. And part of our problem was the president of the United States, Donald Trump, was downplaying this virus and how dangerous it is. And some people weren't wearing masks and so forth uh, uh, at the beginning of the year. And now it's really quite bad. So I hope everyone's going to get their vaccine when it's available and uh, continue to take steps to, to protect uh, our fellow Minnesotans and fellow Americans around the country. Richard Painter, this has been so delightful to talk to you. When things open up in that great amphitheater at the Minnesota Zoo, opens. I'm going to take uh, you and Karen as my guest to see a show. And then we can also go see uh, the animals, which is a lot of fun. It's a great afternoon and evening out there at the Minnesota Zoo. Absolutely. It'll be <laughs> just wonderful to do that. I can't wait. Richard Painter, thanks so much for taking the time. Give my best to Karen and uh, give my best to your kids. And you hang in there, brother. And I hope to talk to you. And better yet, I hope to see you soon. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Paul. All right. Take care, brother. Okay. Bye-bye. Nobody told me life would be this tough. 
Thanks for listening to the Wall of Power Radio Hour. The show is produced by Paul Metza, engineered by Patrick Lillia. We'd like to thank our guest, Professor Richard Painter, and our silver sponsor, School of Rock. Go to schoolofrock.com. They've got two locations, one in St. Paul, one in Edenbury. And I have a new record out, perfect as a stocking stuffer for the holidays. Get a hold of me. I can even, if you if you buy it from my website, I can even sign it for you at paulmetza.com. Like my dad used to tell me, remember to be kind and make someone happy.